0: Welcome to uh, Pills Talk. Um, fuck. Oh, sorry, we starting. No, we'll just keep going. Uh, this is your host, uh, Michael, and uh, I am joined here by my co-host, Liz. Liz, how you doing? What? Hold up. Are you not, are, are you not on Pills?
1: <laughs> are Wait, you not is on this pills? a thing? I yeah, have a question. When people say, when people say, sorry, I'm breaking it. Mm-hmm. Um, when people say on pills, what are they talking yeah. about?
0: So if you're cool, you're like oxy eighties. Cause you're, you did a time travel. So time travel exists. Mm. Without yeah, sure. a doubt. We've known a lot that of-
1: since uh, Bill and Ted.
0: Exactly. Exactly. The documentary film. Um, time travel exists. But the thing is the guy who invented time travel, several thousand years in the future, only went back to do Oxy-80s. And so I encountered him in that context.
1: You've uh, talked about these before. What's the difference? Uh,
0: oxy, uh, of between, Why did, well, I've only 80s? said one thing. So 80, 80, so when you, okay, wow, I'm ready. Uh, 80s, 80s uh, denotes the milligrams, right? Oh. Milligrams. <laughs> and I don't know anything about those. So milligrams are like a system of measurement nerds use. <laughs> uh <laughs> It, it, and the higher they are, and this is, this is new with pills. I don't know if this is true with other things, like water or whatever. This is true with pills. The more milligrams you have, the more fucked up and cool you get. Mm. So, like, well, a long time ago, these... But I, uh, I
1: guess my question is, why do you, you always say 80s? Like, mm-hmm, that's a specific that's kind. Right. What's the other kind?
0: Well, honey. So... Uh, friend of the pod, the Sackler family came out oh, with sure. these Oxy 80s, and they were like the strongest opiate that was like prescribed. And they were, boy, were they prescribed? They were giving out like candy, yeah. And, and they were like the highest you could get. And so Oxy 80s were like the. It was like the first real like like drugs I ever did, and it was like that was like that was the one you're always trying to get because they had 40s, which is like, yeah, what do you want to take one? You want to take two? Uh, and then. And people sort of just shorthand called them '80s or a- OC '80s. And mm. then, do you know what happened? What big government did? A little tie into the episode. Uh. You know, what big government
1: did. <laughs> they banned them.
0: They banned them. Uh, or they like banned them in most cases. I think I did don't know. I couldn't get them anymore. And they started making. I can't remember if they're called Opana or like Oxys. They were still Oxys, but you couldn't crush them. I'm what? making a. Yeah, so like with pills, you can crush them yeah, sure. with your fist and then... Or a glass, snor- right? I always punch them and then and just did it off the but fist. But like Hulk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I put them up. I would throw them. <laughs> and when it was like right in front of the wall, face height, I punched really hard. You know,
1: smash them. You know, mm-hmm.
0: And that, exactly, smash them, and then I'd smash them my nose against the wall, and just go up and down like yeah, a window. Yeah, wipe yeah, it. Hulk smash. Exactly. But what they did, and you also you could you know you could you could you could joint them in the vein or whatever too. But they made they 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 made them out of this insane chemical composition where you could no longer do that. They were literally unbreakable pills, like the movie. Uh, like, the, exactly. Like, the, that's what the movie Unbreakable is about. Is about yeah, yeah, when yeah. They, when they change the form of the Documentary,
1: another documentary.
0: Exactly, exactly. And, uh, and they also made it so there's some substance that made it gooey when you put water on them, in case you were trying to, again, like I said, yoink them in the vein. Uh, and, and that was really, that was when everyone was like, oh, I'll just do heroin. That's certainly when I, I literally had the thought, I was like, this is too hard now. I'm just going to do heroin. Uh, which is a lot more water-soluble.
1: This is a terrible story, brace.
0: yeah anyway, so that's what the podcast is about. <laughs> hello everyone hello hold on let me start the old uh well you actually you didn't keep talking well i'm talking right now i just started the stopwatch Ugh.
1: should we start over sure or no let's just keep going hello fuck you fuck you
0: <laughs> now you made me sound up uh, <laughs> i'm gonna even start the stopwatch over so you get extra two minutes you have to podcast
1: oh just kidding uh, hello i'm podcasting let's start this over
0: Okay, uh, no, no, no! Don't <laughs> don't start it over. Don't start it over. We're going. Hey, I'm check this out. You can't start this one over. Hey, I'm Brace.
1: Oh damn it! I'm Liz. This is and, on. Oh, uh, we're also wow. <laughs> See,
0: this is he will definitely not edit this out now. And we're joined by my friend, my <laughs> friend, and both of our producer, uh, Young Chomsky.
1: You know what? In my defense, <laughs> Brace made me. Have a spoonful of sugar before the episode A spoonful of sugar Helps the medicine go down And I'm feeling the I'm feeling the uh, The Side effects It's in the veins baby That's
0: right. So every every uh, So <laughs> yeah. listeners let me, let me Again I love pulling back the curtain Yeah me
1: too We just had like an hour and a half meeting By the way Yeah
0: impromptu Which by the way I didn't call Yeah me neither <clears throat> yeah, but you participated. I didn't participate that much.
1: Yeah, because you, were you too can't busy see our producer. Phone, but which, his, by the his... way, you got to stop doing that during meetings.
0: I first of all was looking at texts you were sending me, talking shit about uh, Young Chomsky. That <laughs> did not happen. <laughs> <laughs> got out of that one. Um, anyway, so uh, I, what I do is is every uh, every time we record, I have a bit of a sugary beverage. which
1: cats for my high voice and obnoxious personality.
0: But uh, it's 8.04 p.m. right now, and Liz was fading.
1: Yeah, I'm sleepy. I was, I'm a sleepy baby today.
0: Well, I just told her to hop in that kitchen, have a big old spoonful of sugar, and look, now she's got a big old smile in that pile.
1: Yeah, what did you call it? Belden method?
0: It's the Belden method, yeah. There's going to be a lot of mentions of my name during this episode today.
1: So <laughs> just like... Yeah, and that's because we're going to continue talking about libertarianism. Mm-hmm. I,
0: I, so I didn't, wasn't really familiar with it until last time. Uh, once I heard that episode after we put it out, I was like... Why do these fucking guys complain? I didn't even need to recognize myself. What do these guys complain about? This is great. No laws? <laughs> so I can't be a criminal. It's, that's the cool thing about libertarianism is it's literally illegal to be – the only thing that's illegal is the law. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's – they're complete abolitionists.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, But, uh, but yeah, now we are doing the secret part two and we can actually say that we agree with it because only our subscribers can hear.
1: (laughs) No, no, no. So we are going to, we, we're going to, we kind of went long on the first episode this week and we got more to say, um, as we're talking about the Koch brothers. So we're going to keep it going and get into part two. Sound good?
0: Uh, I mean, well, I haven't heard it yet, but you know, it sounds like it could be good. Kind of depends.
1: This is why they call you Bad Boy Brace Belden because you're. This is it's so obnoxious sometimes.
0: No, they call me that because I accidentally hit a family with a car when I was seventeen. What did a hit and run? You don't know that? No, no, yeah, dude. That's why my name's my real name is David. That's why I had to call myself Brace. Now I killed seven people. It was a huge family. This was in Provo, Utah. Uh, What car? What kind of car is this? A Jeep Wrangler. Seven people. I was in the car. They were pedestrians.
1: <laughs> what, they were was, walking across the street like the Beatles? I was on Oxy80s. Anyways, let's talk about let's talk uh, let's talk about libertarianism. Okay. So we ended the last episode uh, talking about the Powell memo. Um, and that that memo was basically uh credited with the kind of next ensuing decades of libertarian strategy, meaning mm. the foundation of different think tanks and kind of the spread of um, what you can kind of think of as different cadres of yeah, intellectuals absolutely. in different institutions, um, you know, attacking different media institutions and infiltrating, um, you know, uh, different lobbying organizations creating new lobbying organizations. Um, But the think tank is really, I I mean, it's interesting because I think we, we haven't talked about Cato yet. And, you know, when we're talking about the Koch brothers, it's difficult to talk about their influence without talking about Cato or the Heritage Foundation. Wait, Um, hold
0: on. There's a Cato Coke.
1: (laughs) No. Like the OJ Simpson guy. (laughs) No.
0: Okay, it's like in his honor or something. All it would right, be all funny if going. it was
1: spelled that way, but it's not. Um, no, but but um, you know, Cato is is one of the most influential think tanks in America. Um, I think maybe the Heritage Foundation is. I mean, I'm sure there's some metrics that say it's more influential, but for, but uh, you know, who knows? Both of
0: them. I was looking at think tank rankers earlier, uh, which by which, the way, by this, the way, this
1: episode, amazing job.
0: It, this is sponsored by ThinkTankRanker.com. Um and it Think Tank it, they, Ranker. They both rate, I think, top five. Think one of them's in ranker. like the top like one or two.
1: Think Tanker Ranker.
0: Think tanker Ranker. This is you this is you, uh, we got her on a loop here. It's think, think tank, ranker, baby. This is what I do before every episode. I go think yeah. tank ranker, think tank ranker.
1: <laughs> think tank ranker.
0: Anyways, so we rank these think tanks.
1: <laughs>
0: what it rank? I'm saying it's in top five. I can't oh, remember the exact. I'm not a high ranking. High ranking. I didn't go to George Mason, rankin'. but it's it's they're they're pretty far up there.
1: <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, Cato. Both Cato and the Heritage are are uh, ex- extremely influential. Um, but I think for our purposes, we kind of want to focus on Cato uh, because they're kind of their rise and a, and a kind of split that happens with Cato is, is pretty interesting for what it, um, what follows in the kind of libertarian movement and mm. the ramifications like over the, basically the last like three decades. Um, but just as like an overview for people who don't know, like think tanks in, as an institution are, are relatively like new in American history. It's really, they come uh, come to prominence in kind of the late '50s, early '60s, and at that point, policy research organizations were mostly, uh, you know, run by the government. They weren't. They weren't privately operated, and that is kind of the new development that emerges in the mid to late '60s and into the mm-hmm. '70s. And Cato is, um, you know, is obviously a private nonprofit nonprofit policy research org. They, um, you know, extremely influential. I think like 10 or 11 Nobel Prize economists have worked with the Cato Institute. They promote what they say is kind of free market research, you know, libertarian mm-hmm. ideals. They, they talk about, um, you know, promoting civil liberties, although, as we'll see, that's a little debatable. Um, but, uh, you know, founded by Charles Koch, uh, extremely extremely influential libertarian think tank
0: yeah yeah it, it's it's I, I think they started in the 70s in wichita i believe uh yeah. i i this is all this is based on fucking memory i'm not even looking at the notes right now uh originally called charles Koch foundation which um honestly i'll be real with you if i was dave i'd be a little like what the fuck here we're kind of in this together but typical libertarian only in it for himself Uh, And and they had uh, as one of their sort of first prominent members of the board of directors, but really prominent thinkers, a guy named Murray Rothbard.
1: Yeah, we're going to get into him in a little bit. Um, I think a key thing to understand about Cato is that like up until this point, like libertarianism as an idea, as a like self-proclaimed like Mm -hmm. ideology or whatever was extremely fringe, like, yeah. extremely, and was, like, a bunch of, like, basically pot-smoking weirdos, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, like, like I, I think people mix up, like, being a libertarian with just being a regular capitalist or whatever, mm-hmm. and, like, obviously there's quite a lot of overlap, especially now, but, like, it, it's, it's a fundamental different view of the role of government, because, like, a capitalist might not want uh, regulations or whatever, but, like, libertarians really, like, seek to in a lot of ways, like make a new society. Like they're more, much more revolutionary than capitalists. I mean, capitalists mm-hmm. have already, we live in their society, right? But like these want to like, they, 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 they believe in something like slightly different than like your average run-of-the-mill businessman. Uh, and they were sort of able to provide uh, uh, our, our uh, uh, country's illustrious business community with like really something more to believe in. But it took a while.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like, that's the thing, is that, like, Cato basically laundered the libertarian perspective into respectability. Like, because of its, like, stature and, um, and influence in Washington, it was able to kind of take these fringe ideas and give them this, like, nouveau air of importance and respectability and really diffuse them into... Um, mainstream conservatism right part of that is and you mentioned murray rothbard and and i do want to get into this because this is important is the split that happens with rothbard and Koch and um, ed crane who is the you know former president of cato who's also a really important figure in this kind of uh little nexus Mm. um and you know Murray Roth, you know, like I said, I always say this, but we—I promise—we're going to get into him because he's a really important figure. But he takes a really more, um, let's just say, revolutionary stance than what he calls the Kochs and Cranes reformist stance, where Mm -hmm. they—he, you know—he, I think, he accuses them of being like low tax liberals, which I think was very (laughs) was almost charming if he weren't such a monster. It it,
0: it does in a lot of ways. I mean. In, in actually really just one way, the fact that there's a revolutionary and reformist side to it, uh, mirror like the Bolshevik-Menshevik split.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I think we should get into that. I mean, it is funny, like, um, you know, one thing that conservatives and Marxists have in common is that they're always accusing other members in their organizations of being liberals.
0: Yes, yeah. Well, often it's true. Yeah. That's the thing. <laughs> you know. You know, related to Cato, if the shoe fits... Uh, or if the shoe doesn't fit, you can't acquit. <laughs> the shoe there being, uh, well, you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But I do want to just, like, you know, drive home some stuff about Cato because, you know, while it is a kind of, um, you know, that they are sort of uh, in-name libertarian, there mm-hmm. there was this sort of idea that uh, Cato was like independent, respectable, that, like I said, you know, they had all of these, um, you know, very well-known scholars, economists, all these different sorts of, um, you know, revered personnel on staff. And there was this, like, really popular idea that they were completely independent from the coke money, that they, um, you know, were just like any other think tank and not just kind of um, – uh, you know, part of what you would call the octopus, or just another arm of the billionaires, mm-hmm. uh, and it's like very weird that people had this. And it really wasn't until 2012 when um, Jane Mayer was doing a lot of her reporting on the Koch brothers and um, you know a, an important lawsuit that I don't think we really need to get into between uh, Charles Koch and Ed Crane over the I direction call him of Head Cato. Brain. Yeah, but it really, like, wasn't until then that the media had to basically acknowledge the fact that Cato wasn't this, like, independent, respectable organization, but actually really was just pushing um, pretty much everything under the sun that would help Coke Industries, right? Well, yeah,
0: that, that, that's the thing a lot of people got to remember is that the Koch brothers aren't just, like, a couple of political guys, right? Like, they do they, – they, they run an incredibly large company – that is one of the country's worst polluters. It's also one of its largest employers, and so you'll find that the Cato Institute, Americans for Our Prosperity, Heritage, all these groups, uh, they they often push, uh, let's say, policies that are in line with perhaps uh, the Coke's business goals, especially you know rolling back the EPA, uh, environmental regulation, all that kind of stuff, like. That is, I mean, maybe it's just an astounding coincidence, and, and I'm totally wrong, but uh, I, I'm not, and it isn't. Like, it, like they really, like, it, it's, it's, it's all of these groups, they have a dual purpose. They have the purpose of, of laundering a lot of this libertarian stuff to make it seem more reasonable, or, you know, people tend to believe stuff more, I guess, if it comes from a think tank. Actually, the opposite should be true. Uh, but it, it really is, like, it serves the purpose of helping the Koch's uh, bottom line.
1: Yeah, and that's ironically, that's exactly what Rothbard's uh, criticism of the Kochs and Cato, the direction of Cato was. Is he was saying, like, these guys are just using this not to, you know, um, disseminate libertarian ideology in this kind of like long march of winning, like we mentioned, the, you know, the war on hegemony, mm-hmm. but that they were using it just towards their own, you know, corporatist purposes, Yeah, Um, and that was like really where his big split came from but Mark Ames did I want to say just as a shout out Mark Ames friend of the pod did some great reporting um, as we've mentioned before uh, on his own at the exiled but also for the nation kind of during this time on the Koch brothers and Cato and he was writing in 2012 kind of You know, as all this news was coming out about the Cook Brothers and Cato and, you know, oh, wait, it's not independent. Oh, wait, it's not respectable. And I just want to read a little bit of this because it really is, like, important to drill home, like, basically, the the boundaries are are very blurred between (laughs) Cato's influence and our own government. So... Mark Ames writing, the more you get to know the real Cato Institute, the more you see a rank, powerful, right-wing corporate front group deeply woven into the Republican Party machinery as unprincipled and cynical in its relentless service of the 1%'s interest as it is hostile to the progressive cause. Um, so at this time, John Yoo, who a- another friend of the pod, um, who, of course listeners should know, was the author of the infamous torture memo. He served at, on the Cato editorial board for the what they called the Cato Supreme Court Review mm-hmm. uh, at, it, during his entire tenure in the Bush presidency. So at so, that so- same, very same time, John Yoo was writing the administration's legal justifications for Guantanamo, rendition, waterboarding, w- warrantless wiretapping, etc.,
0: Wait, I, maybe I'm missing here. I'm missing something here, baby. Uh, so this guy John, Yu, mm. this uh, this 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 you know professional talker, as I like to call the lawyers down at the club. <laughs> uh, he is both working for a libertarian think tank that says. I mean, uh, forgive me if I'm wrong. The Cato Institute talks about like government overreach and all this stuff, right? Mm. Uh,
1: yeah, absolutely. At the,
0: at the same time, don't tread is, on me, right? Literally giving legal justification for abducting people extrajudicial, not going to be able to say that word, uh, outside the law, uh, black bagging them and taking them to a military prison that is on an island that is not part of the contiguous United States that the country that it's on does not want it there uh, for indefinite periods of time and also torturing them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, From, that's the by, thing. by the
0: by, like the army.
1: Yeah, and that's of the, the thing. Like, um, this was what was so. I mean, this was what was so frustrating at the time, and and people have really memory hold. I think when they think about the Koch brothers, they you know they they've forgotten that like you know there was this entire idea that Cato really was like, I mean, I keep saying this, but like really was independent just there fighting for their own cause of civil liberties and libertarian ideals. And at this time, no one thought everyone's like libertarianism had become again, less wacky and more acceptable in um, contemporary discourse, right? Mm -hmm. In political discourse uh, much more so than if you were to say you were a communist, right? Uh, Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And and so this idea that Cato was there fighting against um the encroachment on civil liberties by the Bush administration is just flatly untrue. It's just flatly untrue. Um you know, another Cato Institute executive again. This is from Ames reporting, Roger Pylon, which great name. Uh,
0: good ba- by the way, good band too, Pylon. <laughs> Georgia Georgia band from the uh, from the 80s. Pretty good.
1: So he vigorously supported Bush's attacks on civil liberties. He was the VP for le- legal affairs at Cato and the founding director for the Cato Institute's Center for Constitutional Studies, funny enough. And mm-hmm. he supported extending FBI wiretapping and called on Congress to reauthorize the Patriot Act, which is huh. like a complete and total. I mean, if you are allegedly a libertarian, that would be, you know, uh, I mean, that's that's fully treading on you.
0: Well, so this is this is what I've always sort of never understood about libertarians. So I a little we're gonna have to I have a brief aside here because I have a libertarian short libertarian story. When I was locked up in one of the uh, many uh, drug rehabilitation facilities that I've uh, purposely visited in my life, just to do some sociological research on it, their inhabitants. Uh, my roommate at one was a uh, a portly fella uh with a shock of red hair at the top of his head very pale skin uh who was there was reading the team of rivals book about abraham lincoln's cabinet Mm. uh which he tried to tell me about and i had no interest in i was withdrawing from heroin uh and uh and he um this is and this by the way this sounds made up what i'm about to say so don't i swear to you it's true (laughs) um he tells me he is a, a febophile and a libertarian in basically the same breath. And that was just like, well, okay, this guy believes in that. And I'm like, well, why are you reading about Lincoln? He, like, he, Lincoln was one of the least libertarian presidents, presidents we've ever had. Uh, and, uh, and, and he had no, like, real answer to that. And that's something I noticed with a lot of libertarians is that, like, they kind of just, like, don't really, like, a lot of the the lobies, you could call them, that I've met, like, you know, I, I've never, uh, you know, smoked uh, ganja with Murray Rothbard, but, like, a lot of people seem to, like, not have this real clear idea of, like, what the libertarianism that they're talking about is, and, 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 and like, they're just, like, they literally do think it means, like, weed should be legal. By the way, that guy was there for Adderall, um... And so like that's, that's like that is – that is this almost doesn't seem incongruous to me because like every libertarian I've ever met – I've met other ones too – has basically been able to like just like turn libertarianism off and on with like the, the snap of their fingers. Mm. I mean Very of course like they're totally in this case like ideologically and politically bankrupt but like it's, it's – it is – it is what I'm saying there is that, that that doesn't really surprise me that you would be involved with that. John You not – Liz Franczak.
1: Well, I think the key is, is that like, at least like the point I'm making, I mean, I think it's true what you're saying that the kind of idea of libertarianism is so, at least in like popular imagination is quite diffuse. Like mm-hmm. that there is yeah. this sort of like, oh, it's just about like independence and liberty and the government stays out of my business. Right. Yeah. But like the thing that's like so frustrating about Cato is that, the reason why it was be- able to become so influential, especially in especially you know by journalists like supporting it and and mm-hmm. basically covering for like very obvious um conflicts of interest let's we'll just say like yeah. is because people bought into this like bullshit myth of this like nonpartisan independent think tank as if, like as if anything can be independent and nonpartisan when it's flooded with billionaire dollars I mean it's just an absurd I mean it's just absurd right
0: well I, I, I mean the, the idea that any sort of think tank or ideological political whatever project can be nonpartisan I mean maybe it doesn't have like an allegiance to a certain party but it has an allegiance to an ideology And like, that that is partisan, which is, which is fine with me. But like, there is this real, like, uh, I I don't know, this like obsession with nonpartisan stuff in America that, that, that makes people really want to believe this and, 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 or lie, lie to themselves or to other people about it. Uh, but like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's astounding. Like, of course the Cato Institute isn't fucking nonpartisan. Right, and are libertarians.
1: They, yeah, and they take advantage of people's desire for that and play off of it. Meanwhile, you know, President Bush's entire Social Security privatization plan, which, by the way, he got real f- freaking close. I don't know why I didn't just swear, but let's, maybe that was adorable. God, um, yeah. Oh, gosh, Liz. <laughs> He got real freaking close, you guys, uh, (laughs) to passing that. So all of that was thanks to, I mean, the entire kind of legal backbone to his argument for privatizing Social Security. And by the way, that extends into Obama's push for privatizing Social Security, which he also got very close to passing. Um, You know, that all comes from the Cato Institute. And, and, you know, don't forget that that is a main, uh, you know, ideological – project of the Koch brothers, of the kind of libertarian dismantling of the welfare state is, um, you know, ripping up, tearing apart and selling off what remains of Social Security. But that was, you know, during the Bush administration, that was handled by not just Ed Crane, who's again, the president of Cato at the time, but also an executive at Cato, Jose Pinera, who, oh, who did he used to work for? That would be Pinochet. Oh, Cool. Yeah. Well,
0: hey, Latinx supporting Latinx. I'm sorry. You love to see it, you know? You were part of Solidarnosc,
1: <laughs> Don't
0: Particularly me. the anti-Semitic part. Um
1: <laughs> anyway. if, you ask, if
0: you ask me to cut that joke, that's that's literally proving my point.
1: But this actually illu- so this actually illustrates another split. Um, you know, we mentioned Rothbard and I want to get into him right now because he's the figure that a lot of people don't know about as as much um but is is very important and particularly to i think the current political landscape but it's funny because um you know pinochet and, and you know as we've talked about on on this podcast you know that's the famous like you chicago experiment right mm-hmm. and all the the you know vanguardists at university of chicago uh, you know um the economists that were sent down to destroy Chile, basically. Uh and that that's actually like a big split between there's a there's an ideological split there between those economists and the kind of even more radical Austrian school, of which Murray Rothbard was a um big fan of big, big fan of someone we you know, someone named Ludwig von Mises and what you'd call the Austrian school which is a more extreme extreme version of kind of neoliberal slash libertarian economics
0: like Austrian school like Karl Kautsky (laughs)
1: basically yeah
0: my god really nothing good comes out of that place
1: but I do promise this actually isn't just like a history lecture but I I do really want to talk about let's talk about Rothbard because, because this guy's a really interesting, interesting figure. He, you know, I mentioned that there's this kind of, the way to think of it is a kind of like reformist and revolutionary split that happens, um, I guess, shortly after the 1980 libertarian election, Which,
0: by the way, this is, at at this point, the Koch brothers have flooded the Libertarian Party with money. Because it turns out, like, you really don't give a shit about, like, money paying for access if you're a libertarian. I mean, you don't care about it if you're any of the parties, but at least you have to pretend to care about it if you're in one of the other ones. Um, and, and David Koch runs as the vice presidential candidate.
1: Oh, right, 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 right. And
0: gets, like, uh, uh, well, let me make a prediction here. Howie Hawkins' level uh, of the vote. Not very high. Yeah. Um, And, uh, and things do things do not go particularly well in the campaign overall. And there's a lot of very contentious um infighting in the Libertarian Party, which is, you know, now that they're televised, I'm no stranger to baby. I've seen more nipples at Libertarian Party televised debates than I think I've seen. You're in my always watching life.
1: the like, I feel like you're always like, Oh, you were so excited this year to tune in and you were so pissed that you got show. there late.
0: Well you know like you know how like uh there was a great uproar on the internet after the DSA convention. With
1: all, I the was people just going thinking. I was like, I wonder if libertarians were tuning into the DSA one. Like, in the same by the way, way
0: that- <laughs> by the way, that was fucking humiliating. And if you like, uh, if you make that your mission to care about that organization, or whatever, you should probably make that a big, uh, big promise to yourself that you'll never let anything like that happen again. But that's probably not going to happen. Um, but yeah, it's a freak show. It's a fucking freak show. My God! I mean, it's it's. They got the guy with the shoe on his head. they are talking about the the libertarian. Fucking, the li- right? I don't even know anymore. I mean, half of them probably believe the same things. Uh, you know, you got snake handlers. You got you got piss drinkers and fart sniffers. I mean, it's a real it's a real menagerie of sickos. But like, it's at this point though, like the Libertarian Party convention is a fucking sideshow. Like the yeah. Cokes don't need that shit anymore. They moved on basically after this election.
1: Yeah. So Murray Rothbard like basically gets really pissed, and the Cokes kind of throw him out, and and he's basically stages. You know, he he throws a big fit. Um, and it's interesting because you know I think it's important to say first of all this idea that that like we said there's this reformist and this revolutionary split. I you know I'm not. The first person to say that, actually, friend of the pod, Daniel Bessner, uh has written about this, which, if you're interested, you can look up and read more. Um, Better but, friend of the pod, Daniel Betterner. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, you know, <laughs> I just lost my. I'm sorry.
0: I couldn't. I sorry. I that was seriously that was like a like a OCD, which I don't have, by the way. Uh, like he listens or to the podcast
1: too. So, <laughs>
0: well, so does Daniel Better. In fact, Daniel Bettner listens to it twice as much.
1: <laughs> so it should. We should say that, like you know, it, Cato. Obviously, as we're saying this, Cato has been extremely successful, right? Yeah. They have been, They are in, like we said, largely influential. The Heritage in- Institute, largely influential, like the Koch brothers, basically diluting whatever their you know ideological purity for kind of corporatist ends, and really going after Washington has has worked. Right? Well, they, they. I think they saw that,
0: like with the with the 1980 Libertarian Party, uh, you know, candidacy it, that, that, that 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 really wasn't going to work. And so, after that, you can really see them shift their focus to the Republicans.
1: Mm, yeah, and basically it, taking over the party.
0: Totally, totally. I mean, they've done a much better job there than they could ever hope to do with the, you know, the, the the libertarian freak show. Um, and and I think that was a big point of contention between them and Rothbard too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But what's interesting is that that while that's true, Rothbard has remained like a kind of intellectual ghost <laughs> like mm. that that is a very revered figure um particularly in the more extreme wings of the party and in the like ideology and like while rothbard you know he died i think in like 1995 or 1996 like while he didn't see the rise of trump or the rise mm-hmm. of steve bannon who we can get into like I think he would have been quite pleased, <laughs> and and yeah. has been vindicated in a lot of ways, for I think his kind of more long term revolutionary strategy, um, and, and, and his more extreme views. I mean, he you know he's what you would call, or he, I mean, he coined the term or anarcho capitalism, right? He's the ancap. Well, and, so he's like
0: real annoying.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he really is like you know fusing. Um, you know, radical Austrian economics, classical liberalism, and 19th century anarchism, and that's what you would call. Um, that's like kind of a rough outline of anarcho-capitalism. I mean, I think that you can make, or at least I think you can make the argument that libertarianism and and as well as neoliberalism exists on a gradation of what you would call liberal thought. Right. And in many ways. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And in many ways, like liberalism or libertarianism is just a realization of, of or a purest realization of, like, liberalism's ideas. And it's just taking them to their logical ends. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Whereas, like, I I think Rothbard's ANCAP anti-statism is a bit different. And, and he, um, you know, he's a really interesting figure. There's a good piece we'll link to uh, in The Baffler by John Gans that kind of puts Rothbard in context of Trump and Bannon, and I, I think it's worth people reading. But we, we should say that one of, ironically, one of Rothbard's biggest influences was Lenin. hmm um, Yeah. And in fact, he's the author of a nineteen sixty one memo, <laughs> "What Is to Be Done," <laughs> where he basically outlines um, an analysis of Leninist strategy and how uh, radical libertarianism can use it. It's it's funnily
0: enough, because I read part of this. Funnily enough, he bases much of much of this off of his uh, his reading of Tony Cliff. Mm. Uh, so Can
1: you give I don't know if our listeners know Tony Cliff
0: So Tony Cliff Much like Murray Rothbard uh, Is a Trotskyist <laughs> And so you've got to understand that, that actually Rothbard Comes to Lenin via Trotsky I think mm. Rothbard's family were actually I, I, I believe I might be thinking of somebody else But if I'm not, I'm right uh, I believe uh, a lot of his family Were, were although not his, his Mother and father, but like aunts and uncles were members of the CPUSA, um, and so it, perhaps his getting into the leader of the Socialist Workers Party, the British one, uh, maybe a little dig at them subconsciously.
1: Yeah, but so he writes in um, in this memo. I think I just want to read from some of it because I find it so fascinating. Um, you know, I think this is this is Rothbard writing in 1961. I think that here we can learn a great deal from Lenin and the Leninists. Not too much, of course, because the Leninist goals are the opposite of ours. Okay. But particularly the idea that the Leninist party is the main or indeed the only moral principle. From one aspect of Lenin's theory of strategy, we can learn much. The setting forth of what revolutionaries can do to advance their principles as opposed to contrasting deviations from the correct line, which the Leninists have called left-wing sectarianism and right-wing opportunism. And then he goes into kind of a rehashing of those two things that, which of course Lenin wrote about left-wing sectarianism and right-wing opportunism and how he sees it in the Libertarian Party. But he basically um, writes out a, uh, a strategy for the libertarians to adopt what he believed that what they needed to do was basically form networks of uh, intellectual cadres. Yeah. He's would, pretty explicit about that. Yeah. He's very explicit about this being um, like the most salient point of, of Lenin, right. That you have these highly trained and diffuse uh, cadres of intellectuals who are professional revolutionaries. I mean, he says mm-hmm. that quite explicitly. That maintain the kind of hardcore nucleus of the party, right? And that while, and that you know, he he, he says that one of the 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 thing that the right needed to learn from Lenin was how strategic and um pragmatic Lenin was, which is, of course, not, you know, that is not a new observation that's been said many times about Lenin, but really how he was able to take a step back, always look at changing conditions and change his strategy based on that. And that is really where Rothbard, a a lot of Rothbard's legacy, I think, comes from 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 that, because he started then, uh, Murray Rothbard at least, you know, in the mid to late 60s, starts experimenting working with the SDS and the New Left and infiltrating yep. them with libertarian ideas um, and working with obviously the Koch brothers and the far right, infiltrating those ideas. And, and so he really saw himself as quite malleable, uh, which he, he viewed as being uh, strategic and a Leninist in a leninist way. I mean, I, you know, I don't know, but
0: I mean, the, the, the important sort of difference there is that the liber the nature of a libertarian, you 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 can't really follow the leninist model, which is a centralized structure,
1: right? But <laughs> right, they sort that's of, what's so funny.
0: <laughs> exactly. But but they sort of did their own like uh, you know, mutated version of that, right? Like they do have, sort of have these like ideological um or organizations you know the these institutes the 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 libertarian party doesn't even really count as that but like yeah like 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 cato reason all these things and they are basically used to 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 discipline rather the the party line i mean of course Mm -hmm. there is no real party but like they they sort of set that in, in and and they have been really effective too in like putting these ideas out there and sort of like germinating the public. I mean, you said before, it's like diffusion, but like it really is. I mean, like the, the I, I, you know, it's, 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 it's sort of mind boggling to even think about how many of these ideas are really like just accepted now.
1: Yeah, I mean, not even just in language, right? Because mm-hmm. in language, I think it's obvious the way we talk about things, the way we talk about, I mean, even, you know, even the kind of more uh, or the or the the less radical ideas of the Libertarian Party, right? Even the way we talk about privatization, like we were talking about with USPS, or we talk about choice theory, right? School mm-hmm. choice. Think about how diffuse the idea of school choice is, right? That yeah, oh absolutely. yeah, people should have the people should have the right to choose their school, whatever. The language yeah. of rights, all of this or rights in the marketplace as consumers, all of this comes from the kind of like soft conservative libertarianism right but -hmm. even the more radical stuff has found its way um and i think that that is something that is really striking about rothbard's influence like he you know uh he i mean he says this was in 1992 um him remarking on the emergence of david duke and pat buchanan right Mm -hmm. he says The proper strategy for the right wing must be what we can call right wing populism, exciting, dynamic, tough and confrontational, rousing and inspiring not only the exploited masses, but the often shell shocked right wing intellectual cadre as well. And in this era where the intellectual and media elites are all establishment liberal conservatives, all in a deep sense, one variety or another, a social democrat. All bitterly hostile to a genuine right, we need a dynamic, charismatic leader who has the ability to short-circuit the media elites and to reach and rouse the masses directly. We need a leadership that can reach the masses and cut through the crippling and distorting hermeneutical fog spread by the media elites. Now, like, to me, it sounds like Donald Trump. Yeah.
0: And, and you know, it's funny. Notably to me, it, it actually doesn't sound like Bernie Sanders. No.
1: Well, yeah, no, it doesn't. But yeah. I mean, it really does sound... I mean, all I can think of is Donald Trump tweeting directly to the people. Exactly. I, I mean,
0: and that's like... I I, I I made that comparison. It's like, that works. You know? Yeah. Like, you kind of can't go half-assed on this thing, but that works. It worked. Uh, it's funny, like, Trump has... He's not as I feel like he's not I mean, I might be wrong about this. I feel like he's not as good at it anymore like he used to be a lot
1: more um yeah agile with it. Um, I mean 4 years will beat you down. He's probably had a stroke to be honest. Yeah, yeah. No, I Have he, you noticed the like kicking thing he does? No, he told me he had a stroke. Oh, he did. He DM'd. Yeah, you. he's yeah,
0: he well, he called me, but yeah, I mean that's a voice DM. Um <laughs> But no, it's 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 it, that's that's a I would call that a prescient uh, little paragraph you just read there.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I want to be clear too that like when I was reading from Rothbard talking or trying to summarize his ideas about like you you know this this the way he viewed himself as kind of a Leninist in some ways and working with the right and the left like that's not I'm not advocating that as a Leninist strategy to be clear. No, I'm just telling you what Rothbard thought.
0: Um, well, it's funny that 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 that. You told me this to me the other day when we were talking about the episode is that Bannon, of course, also calls himself a Leninist. But like, I, I always sort of raise my eyebrows at it because I'm like, I, don't, I feel like you're just saying that to be sh- shocking but it makes sense. He's just cribbing that from Rothbard.
1: Yeah, I think Gans put this, this in his piece, which I really like. But he said that it seems that Bannon read Lenin by reading Rothbard. So it's <laughs> like he's not even actually re- – I mean, you know, I think we've been clear on our thoughts on Bannon. He does
0: not strike me as the type of person who would, after reading something like this Rothbard stuff, actually go out and seek out
1: Yeah. The not words. a master. So what tactician. he's really calling
0: himself is a Trotskyoid. Yeah. <laughs> to be perfectly clear here.
1: I want to like um, bef- bef- I, I do want to like be clear about like what the end goal is for mm-hmm. the kind of like Rothbardian and cap because I do think it's like very important for people to understand this like it isn't just like the government out of my backyard or like maybe you know I have you know everyone has rights and drugs are free or drugs are legal free whatever probably not like free. you
0: can get gay married and I cannot bake you a cake.
1: Yeah, you know, that's not... They love not, that example, yeah. Yeah, that's not the goal. Um, but in fact, the idea is like the actual abolition of the state. hmm And in its, in its absence is a system of what you would call, or you could call protection agencies, or I would call insurance companies, that basically negotiate or arbitrate disagreements between consumers who voluntarily pay them for protective and juridical services. So what it is would be a network of private insurance companies that negotiate basically everything that the state would negotiate now, including legal disputes or property disputes or you know, pick anything and they would they would be the police, would be an insurance company, right? So it's a complete and total end of the state monopoly of force. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of goal. And a, a disintegration of the state into private capitalist insurance companies.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, what well, seems like, I, it is funny, like they're... Basically, like the libertarian or anarcho-capitalist, whatever view, like 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 you just laid out there, does like resemble in a lot of ways. I guess what you'd call neo-feudalism. Yeah. Uh, and 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 you can really see that play out in its sort of modern adherence and like teal uh, in those other. Like, well,
1: that's what's really interesting. So now, okay, let's get a little weird because so now like. Another big goal of the libertarian movement, radical libertarian movement, radical ANCAP movement, again, I think these all exist on a spectrum, so we're just going to yeah. use a lot of these terms interchangeably. More ways than one. <laughs> um, it, they, uh, one of the biggest tactical goals they have is to um, basically like, uh, take a hold of and really push se- a modern secessionist movement. Yeah, because they think that their quickest route toward this kind of ab- toward the abolition of the U.S. state is through burgeoning secession movements, right? Mm-hmm. And
0: I mean, th- those people that the behind like the California secessionist movement or whatever, like those are libertarians.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that like you know you see this. We talk about how this stuff is diffuse and like hegemonic, like. Pay attention, because you're going to start seeing this stuff pop up in discourse and in, in like, political, like, you know, when the political mask slips a little bit. And you're going to start hearing it more and more. And it gets a little concerning. Like, when Gavin Newsom calls California a nation state, I don't think that he's, that's just some weird, uh, like, you know, habit he has. Oh, no, (laughs) sweetheart,
0: sweetheart. He's just, he's using Stalin's definition of the nation.
1: (laughs) No, no. I mean, I'm telling you, like there are, the the U S secessionist movement used to be quite fringe and more and more, it's gaining respectability with even like milquetoast liberals.
0: Uh huh. Or what's where it, you like hear the people Cascadia say thing.
1: like, "There's the Cascadia thing," or even in not a like a practical way, but even in just a feeling when people say like, "He's you know, oh, not my president. I didn't vote for him. These are all you know. We're yeah. all divided. None of these people. I have nothing in common with them. You know, the coast should just secede, mm-hmm. and we'll be ruled by." Bezos and Zuckerberg, and they can get Trump whatever they vote for. Like you, you hear it in the attitude of mainstream liberals, and that's dangerous. That's a dangerous position for the U.S. electorate to be in. I, yeah, I, I don't think people really realize this. um I don't know. Maybe I sound nuts, but I want to read a little bit. If you'll indulge me, I know I'm going, going off. You know, off I on love this. to
0: indulge you, baby.
1: <laughs> That's true. Um, but I you know, I just I feel very passionate about this and like I don't think that people are paying attention. Um but you know, this is uh again, Friend of the Pod, Naked Capitalism. They started they've been republishing these interviews um with I, I can't remember the guy's name. He goes for it by a pseudonym, but he's basically like a libertarian. It's just
0: a couple of initials, I think, right?
1: Yeah, tactician, theoretician. These you are know.
0: really entertaining interviews. They're the really way. entertaining. I, I had a blast reading them, but they're yeah. kind of creepy.
1: They're really creepy. And and I think they took place in 2011, right? So that's a, a year before Jane Mayer's reporting on the Koch brothers and Cato for just for like a, you know, some background there. And also, you know, this is when uh, – libertarianism really is as a, as a name as being a libertarian as a kind of like um, political identity is, has gained I think it's at the apex of respectability particularly with the Ron Paul push for president and like that entire kind of um, that entire kind of popular movement that was coming out of Texas it was
0: called the Revolution, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that's where I met my first three wives concurrent. Um, so let me go ahead and read from some of this because it's pretty crazy. Uh, so the interviewer asked him, uh, didn't you say earlier that trying to convince the public would be difficult? And he says, with the secession strategy, you don't need a majority. That's good because the mass of people always and everywhere consists of brutes, dullards and fools easily diluted and sunk into habitual submission. Still, There can be no revolution without some form of mass participation. The elite cannot reach its own goal of restoring private property rights and law and order unless it succeeds in communicating its ideas to the public openly if possible and secretly if necessary. Still, you're right. Convincing the masses of the superiority of the natural elite is not the most important part of our communication strategy. The central task of those wanting to turn the tide is the delegitimation of the idea of democracy. It is not enough to focus on specific policies or personalities. Every critic and criticism deserving of support must proceed to explain each and every particular government failing as an underlying flaw in the very idea of government itself. Still, there is a long way to go. There remain far too many people who make unnecessary compromises with the idea of democracy.
0: I agree with that. Just that last sentence.
1: We will work to create a U.S. punctuated by a large and increasing number of territorially disconnected free cities, a multitude of Hong Kongs, Singapores, Monacos, and Liechtensteins strewn over the entire continent. This approach offers two advantages. First, a piecemeal strategy will make secession seem less threatening. Second, the more the secession process continues, the more the government's strength will be eroded. If there is a conflict, it will be because a democracy has not respected the rights of the free mini-states. But you are mm. forgetting that the free mini-states will not be defenseless in such a conflict. Since they will be no-tax, free-trade tax, free tax free trade havens, large numbers of investors and huge amounts of capital would begin to flow immediately. It will therefore be possible to pay large multinational insurance companies to develop military forces capable of defending the free mini-states against government aggression. Keep in mind that unlike the military forces of the democracy, these military units will be provided by private firms and so will be much more efficient. If there were to be a conflict, these insurers would be prepared to target the aggressor, aka the state, for retaliation. That is, insurers would be ready to counteract and kill whether with long-range precision weapons or assassination commandos, state agents from the top of the government hierarchy from the president on downward. There would thereby encourage internal resistance against the aggressor government, promote its delegitimization, and possibly incite the liberation and transformation of the state territory into a free country.
0: Well, I mean, it's a little bit on their way. There's a... uh... Especially compared to 2011, even more private militaries now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I don't mean to, like, sound the alarm or whatever, or, like, this is happening, but it is yeah. something that I think about a lot. <laughs> and when you think about the rise of people like Bezos having more and more government power, the, you know, insurance companies becoming more and more powerful, and the state really becoming illegitimate in a lot of centrist liberals minds it worries me well think about
0: it i mean you could you could see and i you know i don't i don't think this would happen you know this election or anything don't don't get me wrong but like you could see a trump-like figure being elected in a disputed election you know some amount of years down the line and a newsom-like figure in california or someone who's maybe a little more uh not connected to the Trump family via uh, <laughs> Semitic, uh expulsions. Uh, there, uh, you you could see something like people being in California, being like, "Well, this guy's got the economy in the shitter." You know, the country's on fire. Why do we have to be a part of this? You know, yeah, absolutely. Nothing an annoying Californian likes saying more than it's like the fifth largest economy oh, in the world. I was just
1: gonna say that. God, it's like I fucking hate when people say that. It's yeah. Like- it, you
0: know you don't know get how to anything count. Works, yeah. Don't know how anything also, works.
1: you don't get to you don't get to count in that. Hey, California, where's your water?
0: Uh huh. Well, hey, actually, baby, it's it's in Northern California. So don't <laughs> don't ask him that. I,
1: you know, um, I, I, yeah, I think like um, it it is really worrisome to me, and I just want to say I don't know. Maybe I'm anticipating this or being sensitive, but I'm sure that there are probably some leftists listening to this who hear me. Um, you know, saying like, oh, it's bad if the, you know, in the minds of liberals, the US state is being delegitimized. But like, none of us are anywhere near power and these people are, right? Like, yeah. there's a big difference here between like, um, I, I, I just like- Liz is
0: Liz I, trying to struggle to think of like a left-wing leader in America <laughs> right now.
1: Yeah, I... Um, I'm with you, baby. I, I, I... Just say you. Just Let's just insert... Maybe Young Chomsky can insert something here once uh, we think of one. Yeah. Uh, there's probably one out there, right? But literally, like, you know, uh, there is no... <laughs> we are so far away from the halls of power, and I think that's like I know this has been going long, and we're kind of all over the place. And but you know when we were when we were talking about how we should do an episode on the Koch brothers, like you can go to other podcasts and you can hear like details about the finances of the Cokes, and 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 there's some fantastic and and, and very important reporting on that out there. But like I think for me the thing that I want to drive home about not just the Kochs, but also the entire kind of libertarian ideological apparatus, including the legacy of Murray Rothbard, who really, you know, again, I think deserves um, a closer look as an influence on contemporary politics. But like, it's just how much closer these people and the right are at achieving their goals Than, I think we've ever seen in our lifetime. Yeah,
0: and and I I think that like my take on it is that like their sort of like long march through the institutions or creating the institutions, whatever, uh, has been pretty effective. And like, what'll probably happen is that like this stuff will just continue to diffuse and continue to get Mm. more and more like ingrained into the fabric of society. And I think there's this like weird feeling on the left or something that, like, oh, the left is, like, in competition with these people, blah, blah, like, no, motherfucker, there's no competition, you know? This is, like, this is, like, a guy who runs uh, not even high school track, fucking middle school track, uh, saying he's competing with that really fast guy uh, who killed his wife. Mm. I can't remember his name. Uh, Oscar Pistorius. He was a runner, right? I assume so. You uh, didn't correct me, so, yeah. Um, there is no... Throwback there is no competition here. Uh, and like, it's, it's like people have to get out of the mindset. Like, Oh, these are just like, Oh, they're so funny. Like, Oh, libertarians. Are cool. Oh, what age you consent. And like, yeah, they don't believe in the age of consent. Like, um, that is the least of your worries with that. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it's a, it's a real thing. And like the, 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 the sort of the, the, red pill here is that like, that's a real thing and you aren't. Like, they are closer to getting whatever they want than you are even within at all of Medicare for all, let alone state power. You know? And, like, there is, I mean, I'm not a hater, man. I'm just saying, like, it's, 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 you got to get real. You got to get real with yourself. You can't, you can't live in this fucking fantasy land where not only are these people not winning, but somehow you are you know and and once you get past that then you can start working then you can start thinking but like when, once you're still in this thing where it's like oh you know like i'm a cop incompet- you know it's like it, no dude it's their fucking world they, they won they are winning and like it, it, the, the, the 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 sooner you can see that sort of the sooner that you can see past that but if you can't then, then you're fucked
1: I mean, we have um, we have an upcoming episode or an episode coming up, depending on which way you want to say that. Um, That's saying
0: it. Hold on. Well, is there a difference? I'm say it both ways. Okay, say it both
1: ways. So say it both ways. <laughs> um, uh, about Peter Thiel and um, uh, you know the world that we live in, in tealism. Mm -hmm. By the way, Um, it is
0: very flattering to him, in case you're his lawyer who's listening to this episode but not planning (laughs) on listening to that episode.
1: Yes, yes. We haven't recorded it yet, so it will be very flattering. Uh That's correct. Especially if somebody who's putting his
0: Bank of America account number in the uh, description of the episode gets a little
1: uh, confrontation. All right, all right, all right, all right, but um, you know, it, I think it's really important for people on the left to understand the like hegemonic power of these ideas yeah. and how and, and how successful the right has been—not at just even, um, you know, getting these ideas out there, but as we kind of have tried to illustrate, like reframing almost every and all political discussion in in their in 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 their terms well right people on the left like to
0: point to the fact that like
1: uh
0: the post office is popular or like that medicare for all is like a popular idea among some democrats or whatever but it's like okay fine like maybe these specific issues like some people who respond to opinion polls like them but like really the whole like you're missing the whole landscape which, like, the cokes and people like them, not just them, but people like them, have totally remade. And, like, by focusing on these, like, hyper-specific things, well, look, like, like I, I really hate it when, like, Bernie Sanders says, like, oh, we're winning the ideological war, or we're winning the war of ideas. Well, fuck. Th- that's wonderful. That's, 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 that's the best way to win a war, is by ideas. In fact, traditionally, that's how all wars have been won, by just having the best ideas. It's like, no, wrong, motherfucker. Like, you are, first of all, you're not even winning the war of ideas. You're losing them. If you were winning the war of ideas, you'd be winning the regular war. Or at least be doing a lot better than you are. And, like, that's what's so crazy to me. It's like, no, dude, they're winning the war of ideas. And the regular war. Like, this is, even many people on the left have, like, have, 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 I mean, I'm not saying that people on the left are, like, coke people or whatever, but have taken up this, like, I, I mean, think about this. Liz. You try to get, like, think of the rigid ideological discipline displayed by a lot of the people uh, in the Koch universe, right? Could you imagine, could you imagine any, like, given, like, little socialist groupsicle in America adhering to the same kind of discipline and the same kind of seriousness and the same kind of devotion? No. Right? Of course not.
1: And like and, and, and that's the thing, is, is is
0: is there's this like there's this uh, wrong headed idea, right? That like well well because our cause is just that that affords us all of these uh spiritual back you know, the angels are at our backs or whatever. Uh, wrong motherfucker. They aren't. Like I'm not saying this to be a downer to nobody, but this is plainly obvious what is happening and like like they have cadre we don't have cadre if that makes sense to anybody like they have people who are willing i guarantee you put up uh, even even adjusted for how many of each there are you put up any given 100 libertarians in a room and ask them how many would die for what they believe in and any 100 given like left wingers or whatever Maybe some people would answer yes on both sides, but I feel I have a feeling the libertarian side would actually do it because if you're a left winger and you're willing to die for whatever's going on right now, but boy, you you must have some really bad depression, right? Because there isn't there there isn't something to die for or or to, or to live for, whatever however you want to say it. And like that's one of the things I think people can't get their heads around is it doesn't seem real, it doesn't seem serious, in and, and like. And, and 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 I think it's probably because like unlike these other people who have been on the march on the move, you know, since the seventies, uh, look what happened to the new left. They they even won against the new left. All the new left motherfuckers became stockbrokers. Even like those big yippee dudes. One of them literally became a libertarian. You know, because that's that's that the seed in that was in there all along. But don't get me started on that. I I, I just I'm just astounded at this idea that people are like, well. You know the Bernie campaign was a big loss, but you know we'll we'll, we'll get back on our feet. Like, uh, what are you gonna do next, dude? Are you gonna wait for that? You're gonna wait for President AOC? Fuck off! Get out of here! Not happening, and, and it's not happening for a variety of reasons. Very few of which I'll elaborate here, but. Uh, you can probably get what's going through my head, and actually, I will elaborate some of those totally different, totally different things going on there. You think AOC would pick your side over the Democratic Party side? Bullshit, bullfucking shit. Especially in whatever I, you know, she looks like a very young woman, maybe twenty fifty four, whatever, when she's eligible to, to run for president. Uh, y- y- you know, that was a compliment. Uh, little little bit of sweet, little bit of sour. What I don't don't get here is, like, whoa, man. Like, how are you going to get serious? Because these people are serious, and they've been serious for a long time, and they've been winning for a long time. You couldn't even get serious when your guy ran for president twice. It it was just repeating these aphorisms and maxims and all these things over and over and over again. It's like a religion, but you don't even get to heaven. At least if you die, God is real. You get to heaven, you know? it's angels actually exist and will hang out with you and let me go up and play harp with them. With 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 this with this thing that's going on, there is no heaven. There's just this sort of like vague promise of maybe we have Medicare for all. These other people want to overthrow the state, and they are serious about it. And they want to overthrow it by any means. You know, it's, it's not, not not very they're, they're dogmatic in some ways, but very malleable in others. And it's like you have a lot of people saying like, oh, Lenin this, Lenin that, Lenin. You have no idea. You are nowhere close to what he's talking about. And that's that's that 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 is really what I'm saying here is that like this should, this should mark a turning point right now of like people on the left being like, oh, wow, we got it. we, we really, you know, we 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 did something that, that really did not work. We should probably recalibrate. But guess what? Here's the problems with that. There is no vehicle for that. There is no, like, left-wing heritage foundation. I'm not talking about, like, a left-wing fucking think tank. I'm talking about, like, an actual ideological center. There isn't one. There isn't even any sort of apparatus to make any of the decisions that I'm talking about that would need to be made. Because you know why? Because our so-called socialist, quote, in parentheses there neolibertarians that you fucking see at all these little meetings here. Oh, oh! Actually, you know what? Like socialism is what I get what I want. Blah blah blah. Like, oh, I, I'm, I'm this and I'm that. No, fuck off! Like this is, this is. Everybody thinks for some reason that they're the star of socialism. Anyways, I'm, I'm getting off track there. I, I, there is no apparatus. There is no party. There is no organization. And unless like you think for some reason America is so unique that is the only country that you could overthrow the government without any sort of organization, which by the way, a lot of you fucking do, even if you won't admit that, unless you think America is so special and so unique and so blah 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 that that can happen well if you believe that brother then I got nothing to say to you, but if you don't believe that if you think, if you think that maybe things aren't working, maybe it's time to try something new, well buddy where you see the Belgian program.
1: All right. Well, on that note, I don't think we have much more to add. Um, yeah. I'm Liz. My name
0: is uh oh who who should I be this time? Hjalmar Schacht, the economist, and we are joined by my faithful toady, Young Chomsky, A.K.A. Hjalmar
1: Schacht, 2 <laughs> And we will see you next time. Bye bye. Last day, yeah.